Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. It's JJ Cooper, joined by Matt Eddy. JJ, I'm I'm just back from the uh, from the winter meetings in Dallas, and back from the always exciting Rule Five draft. And so that's what we're we're, we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about some other things, but you can really feel the excitement in the room as those names are announced, can't you? Well, I, yeah, I, I did kind of. If you, I, most people listening to this, I think we can probably say have, have never actually seen a Rule Five draft in person. The thing that stands out to me more than anything else is, is that there are more people in attendance at the Rule 5 draft than at the real draft. <laughs> you put it, It's in a big ballroom. You bring in a, a good bit of media. Really, more media probably are there than are at because everyone's there for the winter meetings. Although, in this case, Albert Pujols was signing, was breaking during the Rule 5 draft. Yep, so. yep. You know, I thought that the commissioner had rules against you know overshadowing the uh, Rule Five <laughs> draft like that. But uh, um, but you have the teams up there on their tables. You know, they're each lined up. There's three or four people at a table for each team, and there's the the dais where they're announcing the picks from, and there's microphones for the teams to go up to and announce their pick. And then though behind the media, then there are I would say literally hundreds of you know, at least or well over a hundred to two hundred scouts and other people kind of interested in in the proceedings. Yeah, against all yeah. agents too. You know, all <laughs> hoping that their guy gets picked. Um, and so you know, they well, you roll in at nine a.m. local time, and they announce they start announcing picks, and before you know it, and I really mean before you know it, it's done. It's a blink of an eye. I mean, if they just if they didn't stop between rounds to do roster counts. They could. they could get it done in ten minutes. Yeah, and they and it doesn't take much longer than that anyway. <laughs> I mean, I think it was like fifteen with the five minute delay. Even with a, a probably in a historic historically low number of picks. Well, and, and that's the thing that jumps out. I, I think we both agree on this. There's a lot of interest in the Rule Five Draft. You're not the chances of finding another Joaquin Soria or Josh Hamilton or you know take your pick or Johan Santana. Very low because a couple of years ago they changed the rules and essentially gave everyone, well, clubs, one more year before you have to protect anyone. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned Hamilton and Soria, and they both came from the 06 draft, the first year under the new rules. When and teams, like teams didn't know. Yeah, I mean, I think teams are protecting long shot players such as Hamilton and Soria now who have a lot of promise but not a lot of production. Uh, the best example of that, which a guy who I, I don't see why they had to protect him, but Angel Villalona. Yeah, exactly. Angel Villalona is a guy. They protected him because of that one in a million shot that they would lose. You know, him. or maybe the Padres Drew Cumberland falls under that umbrella. The Padres did not protect him. But and, but, yeah, but this is what we thought. The best prospect who was available in this draft was Juwan James. Mm-hmm. Juwan James did not get drafted. And I think the reason for that is is that teams have come to the realization one of the things they've come to realization of is that if you take a guy like Juwan James, whose hit tool is the question, and you put him 
it's not like he could not even figure out a way onto a roster for the full year to meet the Rule 5 requirements. Because do remember, if you're, I'm pretty sure if you're listening to Baseball America podcast, you know this, but just in case you don't, if you get taken in the Rule 5 draft, the key is you have to stay on the Major League roster all year. If not, you have to be offered back to your old team. Well, in James' case, he runs, he plays defense. He could do enough to, to qualify as, you know, to, to stick on your roster for a year. But the problem is, is that you also then have taken away 500 at-bats from a guy whose biggest need to make it to the big leagues is a whole lot of at-bats to become a better hitter. Mm-hmm. He may never get that back. And so we've seen that in the past with multiple players where it seems like uh, a guy always jumps out to me was Enrique Cruz. Enrique many years Cruz, ago. Dwayne Wise, yeah. Guys who they spend that year in the majors, and the hit tool was kind of the question, and it never really develops. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, okay, how much did it hurt jumping from, in most cases, A ball yep. to the big leagues, realizing you're overmatched, and then struggling to, uh, you know, to ever get that back. Well, so you see that. So Juwan James doesn't go. Really what you, pretty much what you saw taking this in the 12 picks in the, in the major league phase was relievers and middle infielders. Yeah, well. And one outfielder. One, one yeah, you mentioned backup the outf- outfielder. You mentioned the outfielder. And to me, the, the most interesting picks uh, were uh, Eric Komatsu, whom the Cardinals took from the Nationals. Nationals, former Brewer, traded to the from the Brewers to the Nationals for Jerry Hairston Jr. Jr. Yeah, and then uh, Ryan Flaherty, whom, whom the Orioles took, and uh, who's kind of a third in, baseman, second baseman, outfielder. I mean, the key for both of these guys is they bat left-handed and they play multiple positions, and that's how you can stick right. as a position player. I mean, and they both demonstrated skills at the Double A level. They can hit and they can hit for power. What teams are looking for? You're always you're looking for this. Gonna, the Rule Five guy is going to be the 24th or 25th guy on the roster, yeah. almost without fail. So if that's the case, then you have to have some versatility. Mm-hmm. If you can just play one position, you can't be the 24th or 25th man on the roster. Not anymore. <laughs> no. And so what these guys done? What they've done is is they take guys who okay, well. You least you can map out a scenario for why that guy could stick. But the the other thing I find interesting in this we talked about this at, at the winter meetings also is is that they've just never changed the amount of money I know that it costs. <laughs> it's fifty thousand dollars payable to the team that you took the player from. If you end up offering him back, they have to give you twenty five thousand of that back. So it's essentially a twenty five thousand dollar gamble. Yep. When those rules were came in, correct me if I'm wrong. That was back when fifty thousand was a, a big league salary. It's been that way for a decade. I, you know, I can't speak to. I believe it's been that way even further back than that. And so, there is no threshold. There's no fear of oh, well, we got to spend fifty thousand dollars on that. That's funny. I think that's roughly equivalent to what the waiver claim price is if you want to take somebody off another team's forty forty man roster when they outright them. I believe that's fifty grand as well. So. So I mean, it's, it's it's inconsequential as far as that. If they set that amount at like three hundred, th- they set that at the cost of a, mi- a minimum salary. Hmm. I don't think anyone would take anyone hardly. I think we'd see like a two pick draft. But yeah, do you think that we even should still have a rule five draft? Uh, the way it's constituted, it doesn't seem to really serve its purpose. You know, to to give these. Um, it's more or less blocked players a chance in the big leagues. Um, I think that's what they set out to do. But that it doesn't accomplish it anymore because the guys who are taken are in high A, you know. They, and with the rare exception of guys like Flaherty and, and Kamatsu, they have no practical Double A experience. They have uh, demonstrated tools, but not necessarily 
performance at this stage. Right, because you're, you're, you sum this up. The reason the Rule 5 draft originally was instituted, you could, if you wanted to call it the anti-cardinal, the, anti, you know, the anti-branch Ricky rule, if you want to call it that. Right, right. It was originally instituted because you had teams that had so many prospects that guys were just, and you got to remember, this is back before free agency or anything like that. With the reserve clause and all, you could have guys who basically spent their life, their entire baseball career, stuck in an organization. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of the Rule 5 draft was is that, okay, you can only protect so many of these guys. And beyond that, other teams can take a crack at them. And so you would have situations. Roberto Clemente, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know it was under slightly different rules, but that essentially the best Rule 5 pick probably of all time. That, that was because you had organizations that were so stacked that they had more players than you had roster spots to put them on. The guys we're talking about here in general, we're not talking about that. <laughs> well, you don't think Robert Fish is destined for the Hall of Fame? Well, I, I do want to get that. that you know, Robert Fish, Cesar Cabral are familiar Rule 5 names. Both Very of them much. were picked last year as well, uh-huh. which is interesting because there are some, some differences if you're taking twice, correct? Yeah, because what happens uh, when, you, when you make a Rule 5 selection, that player goes on the 40-man roster, uh, the 25-man roster, in fact. So, um, but when you return a player, as Cabral and Fish were returned last year, they're outrighted back to the original team. Uh, if they go through that process again and uh, require a second outright, they can opt for free agency at that point. So, um, in the in the uh, very likely uh, likelihood <laughs> that Cabral and Fish do not stick, uh, they can opt for free agency. Right. Uh, so, the, really, the only thing it's bad news for is is it's bad news for the team they got picked from because they don't get them back. They don't get them back unless they want to come back. Unless and that's right. You, you got free agency. You know, it's that'll, that'll be an interesting discussion between those guys and their agents. Yeah, the Diamondbacks worked out an agreement with uh, their two-time outrighted pick Zach Cranky uh, last year. I think they essentially uh, retained his forty-man spot. Well, the other thing is, is what probably ends up happening is, is at nothing else, you're at least going to get a little bit more, you know, more money on your your minor league salary, maybe or something. Yeah, like, that. The, like we'll let you back, but you know what? You get an extra, you know, an extra, <laughs> you know. 200 a month or something. Yeah, being on that 40-man is valuable. Uh, and the other interesting kind of uh, development is, uh, you know, both the best team, uh, let's say one of the best teams and potentially the worst team in baseball are going to spring training each with two Rule 5 picks. That's the Yankees and the Astros. I think we can agree with the Astros. Makes a whole lot of sense. I, I'll put it this way. Marlon Gonzalez, mm-hmm. who they took the twenty, they took the 23rd pick in the draft. They took with the 23rd spot in the draft. There were a whole lot of passing going on before that. But Gonzalez could stick with them as a utility guy. I mean, I, I look at them, you look at their roster, and you say, no, I could see he has two years of double-A experience. Mm-hmm. He's a useful player. I mean, he's not going to – he has almost no hope of ever being anything more than a utility player. But – I could see him doing that for them. Well, the players he's, he's got to push aside are Angel Sanchez and Matt Downs. I think that's entirely possible. I think it's possible. If somebody in, in the Astros organization really, I, really likes him. The, the funny thing is, I, I, now, Reiner Cruz, I think, has a has a more uphill battle. Because yeah. I, I'm just not sure that he's... I, it's tough. Essentially, you have to view him very much as like if you had a reliever on your team with no options. Right. Well, Relievers with no options are less valuable, much less valuable to a team, I would argue, than relievers with options, unless you're talking about your closure, setup man, guys like that, because they take away flexibility. The reality of it is is that 
if you have relievers with options, one of the things it does is that if you have a brutal week where you have, say, a rainout followed by a doubleheader followed by a 17-inning game, well, one of the things you want to do at that point is, is we just need to shuffle guys around because mm-hmm. we need to bring in some reinforcements. A reliever with no options limits your options as far as that. Mm-hmm. You, let's say that... You know, in that situation, Reiner Cruz has stuck, and he pitches six innings in that 18-inning game. If he had options, what you would probably do then is, we're sending you down. Look, it's nothing against you, but we just got to get someone else in here. You'll be back as soon as, you know. But in a case like Cruz, you don't have that option. And if you missed the ESPN crawl yesterday, Reiner Cruz is, was the first pick in the Rule 5 draft, uh, taken right. by the Mets system by the Astros. Up to 97 miles an hour, I guess. Uh, just a pure arm strength guy, 70 fastball. He's an awful lot like Elvin Ramirez, who whom was drafted from the Mets mm-hmm. system last year and uh, was injured all year. Right. <laughs> then got returned after the season. But one of the interesting things we saw this year also is that now there's the major league phase. There's the triple-A phase, and there's the double-A phase. Triple-A phase means you can select a player who has not been put on a triple-A roster if you're willing to put him on your triple-A roster. Double-A phase means you can take a guy from an A-ball who was not put on double-A roster, who was left on an A-ball roster, and put him on your – if they meet certain requirements as far as – Service time. Service time. Yeah. But what what jumped out about that this year? Well, I think the name that really jumped off the board in the AAA phase, and keep in mind these players are essentially not one of the top 80 players in an organization because you can you have 40 men on the on the major league roster and another 37 on the AAA roster. roster, So this this is these are essentially the 80th through whatever in the system. Uh, The the name that really jumped off the page was was Aaron Pareda, an arm strength lefty, 25th overall draft pick in the 07 uh, Rule 4 draft, uh, and traded for Jake Peavy. And here's a guy with, with nine walks per nine innings in AAA. Uh, it's safe to say that he's not really figured it out at the AAA level, uh, but as a, tri- as a AAA Rule 5 pick, well, can't complain by the Pirates. The Pirates took him. And the thing that stands out to me, though, is, is I think you're seeing what you saw a little bit of here is, is that there may be more value for some teams in a minor league Rule 5 pick than there is in a major league Rule 5 pick because the thing with the minor league Rule 5 picks they're yours. There's no offering back or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You pay your 12500 which I believe is the number at the AAA phase. You cut that check, and that player's yours. You can send them. I know you're saying this is the AAA phase. You don't have to keep them on your AAA roster all year. You can send them to A-ball if you want. Mm-hmm. He's your player now. Well, what you saw was Marwin Gonzalez, who we talked about. He was taken by the Red Sox in mm-hmm. the Rule 5 draft. He was then traded from the Red Sox to the Astros. And what did the Red Sox get in return? The number one pick in the AAA phase, Marco Duarte. Well, you can argue this a couple different ways, but what seems to stand out to me is is the Red Sox would rather have the number one pick in the AAA phase, (laughs) where you don't have to deal with the whole roster machinations and any of that, than they would rather have that than a guy in the Major League phase. And Duarte, we should mention, has spent the last three years in the Mexican League on loan from the Rockies. Right. I mean, this is a guy with, with you know, whatever, whatever that equates to in terms of experience. The Red but, Sox so would prefer him and, the, prefer and the flexibility that. that he brings. They would prefer that. And there were a couple of – I mean, that was a puzzling – so that was puzzling, but in just an interesting kind of way. Also puzzling, the Royals made a trade before the Rule 5 draft, traded away Yamaiko Navarro for Brooks Pounders and um, – I forgot the other guy they got. Uh, Goris, a middle infielder from the Dominican Summer League. Right. 
So they did that. And one of the reasons they did that, now they may like Brooks Pounder and Goris more than they like Yamaika Navarro. That could be, you know, it could be just straight up baseball trade. But they did it the night before the draft. And part of that was is that, okay, you know, looking at, open it up, they were at 40. You have to be at 39 if you want to make a pick in the Rule 5 draft. You have to have a roster spot. So they did. They opened up a roster spot. And they did. And they made a pick. They, they picked Cesar Cabral. Mm-hmm. And who at the time seemed to make some sense. It fit for them. They were looking at potentially picking up a left-handed reliever. And then they immediately traded Cabral to the Yankees for cash. Sold him to the Yankees, yeah. So they made a trade to open up a roster spot for a guy who they turned quickly turned around and sold for cash, which I, I found a little interesting as well. Yeah, you know, it buys them uh, roster flexibility. Now they can sign a major league free agent. Which, by the way, I'll, I'll say this. Derek Robinson's still on that 40-man. Uh, <laughs> I, I think they had some roster flexibility there if they wanted it. But now they can sign a major league free agent without making a corresponding move. And, they, and they've and uh, they pocketed yeah, whatever they got I'll from the Yankees. Say, whatever they got. Which, which is probably, we can safely say is in excess of fifty grand. And they don't have to pay a 40-man player anymore because they don't have Navarro on the 40-man. So, so that's, that's substantial savings, no matter how you look at it. Maybe they can go out and get a backup catcher with there you know, go. some of their savings there. So, but um, you know, but yeah, I, I think the really the main thing that jumps back, you know, that comes back to though is is that the Rule Five draft is interesting. Mm-hmm. But if you expect that any of these players is going to make a major impact on your team, you're probably looking the wrong way. Yeah, I, I looked at this, and if you follow me on Twitter, you, you saw this: um, the uh, wins above replacement leaders for the last four Rule Five drafts. Your career leader is uh, Darren O'Day. That's that's that that's your ceiling in the Rule Five draft and these what, days. Do you remember? Like, there's two? three. It was three point eight, which was actually pretty high total for a you know like a more or less a specialist reliever. Uh, but the guys after him, Averth Cabrera was on there. I, I would say that a I fractional would, positive. I would guess that if you added all the Rule Five picks up, what you would find is is that as a whole, it's negative war. Yeah, I mean they're they're because you really are talking about a lot of these guys are sub replacement level. Considering their their experience level they have at the time, mm-hmm. you know, so there was. I kind of thought Johan Jan, who could be a a poor man's Darren O'Day, was going to get picked. But and we anyway. talked about him on the uh, radio, right, on the MLB but, Network radio. But he did not. There's, I'll tell you this: if you want it, you know, the reality of it is, is like we, you know, at the Weir meetings, we're trying to hit up teams. You know, so what have you been hearing? What have you been hearing? Things that jump out. One. When it comes to Rule 5, we at Baseball America probably are working on it as far as who are the players going to get picked much harder than the teams until about, oh, 8 o'clock on Wednesday night. That does not mean they have not assembled some some scouting reports and all that. But the general response you get is, we really haven't even started really worrying about that. Two, Baseball America does not worry about this as much. That There is a group that worries about it more. Agents. Yes. If you want to find the people who are going to get picked in the draft, it's most everyone who agent you know who has an agent. They're they're at least going to you know say so. You're hearing about our guy, and most of those names you hear end up not getting picked. But mm-hmm. uh, but there I mean there is interest out there, but it is really it's the sideshow of the winter meetings. Yeah, I think the interest is driven by uh, uh, fans on the internet. You know, because there's not a lot going on in baseball. Winter, well, winter baseball is the only thing going on. But not only that, but it's also fun because there are very few times. Like, we can talk about, hey, you know, the draft is – the actual draft is very interesting. And a lot of what's interesting is just that you can look at it and go, okay, what guy do I want my team to pick? 
at the same time, when it comes to when it comes to kind of having your desires of which guy your team's going to pick, when you're talking about amateur players, that's a lot tougher because you can have your opinions and all, and you can read scouting reports from us and other places and all that. But the reality of it is, is that it's you're talking about a guy so far away, and you're talking about so much goes into it that you're you're not saying, hey, I hope they take this guy and this guy's going to help in the playoffs this year. With the Rule Five draft, if you want to dream on it. You're, for one, there's a lot more way that just the average fan can look at this and kind of assess because you have lengthy statistical records in pro ball for these guys, for one. And you also, if you can get your hands on some sort of a list, if you don't have the actual list, but you, as a fan, if you get some sort of a list, you can kind of go through and go, okay, so what guys jump out here? What, who would have been interested in my team getting? Again, the reality being, though, that there's just not much because of the rules changes, which gives everyone an extra year to figure out who you can protect. And when you're talking college players, four years is a long time to make a determination. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking yeah. at that point, you know, I can't think of many college players who, after four years, you don't have a pretty good idea of whether they're going to be good or not. Assuming they've been healthy, absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, with international players, five years, sometimes that's not enough because that usually equates to four seasons two of which might be in short season ball. So we keep talking about a player who has like half a season in high A. Right. And that's, and that is the, but at the same time, then you run into the other side of it, which is I think teams are now more reluctant to take a guy who's a pitcher. Maybe they'll go, but a hitter, a hitter who's in low A, even if there's the tools there, you may go, okay, but we can't take that guy because he won't be able to help us. He'll really hurt us this year and go beyond that. You know, how much is it going to hurt his development? I was talking to a, uh, scout on the way to the airport yesterday who made the point he's like one of the problems with the rule 5 draft you take a pitcher that guy 90% of the time his role is going to be the long reliever well well, what do you need what is the he asked rhetorically he said what's the main thing you need in a long reliever he needs to be able to throw strikes because mm-hmm. the last thing you want you do not care if you're down 15 to 5 you do not care if he gives up a couple of homers, you can live with that. But the one thing that you do not want him to do is just to walk, you know, to walk everyone, because the last thing you want to do is have to get up another reliever behind him mm-hmm. to get you out of this. And so that's the thing is, is that, and the problem is, is that a lot of these potential Rule Five picks, yeah, they may end up going into a long relief role, but you've got two kinds. You've got the I know, having written the scouting reports for a lot of these guys who went up yesterday, there's the Terry Doyles of the world who fit that. Terry Doyle's going to throw strikes. He doesn't have a plus pitch. Excellent long relief candidate. Right. And then you have the Reiner Cruises of the world who throw really hard but don't always know where it's going. Mm-hmm. So, And he thinks that those guys have a lot of times have trouble sticking because the manager looking at it goes, I can't, I can't. Yeah, and look at look at last year's. Uh, two of the more notable Rule Fives were Anuri Rodriguez and Nathan Adcock, strike throwers. And and even Pedro Beato. Pedro Beato. Those yeah. guys, all of them are str- enough strike throwers that you say, you know what, we can have this guy be our long reliever yep. because he's not going to ruin, he's not going to destroy our bullpen by making us get two more guys up. Yeah, the other key, uh, play for sub-500 teams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard to make it on, you know, be and it's not just because it's harder to, you know, yes, it's a lot easier to carry a guy say, okay, this guy isn't hurting us, isn't helping us, but 
down the road he may be able to. It's not just that. I really think it also comes down to that roster flexibility. You have more roster flexibility. You need less roster flexibility if you're an awful team. So here's the trivia question. Can you name a World Series team who carried a... Like, but those those restrictions don't apply to the pl- playoffs, do they? You don't have to carry them on the no. 25. So I wonder if that's ever happened. That's a good trivia question. I mean, the thing about it is, is that there are guys out there every year who you go, hey, that guy was a Rule 5 pick or could have been a Rule 5 pick. And mm-hmm. Like Shane Victorino, really good player. Was a Rule 5 pick at one Twice. Point. Twice. Twice, and the Phillies kept him for no compensation. The Dodgers didn't even want him back. Right. You know, and hey, look what he turned into. So it does happen. But, again, the, a lot of these guys that we talk about were under the old rules where, but I'll, I'll say this, though. In Victorino's case, that could still happen because Shane Victorino was past the four-year point mm-hmm. where he when he was eligible that second time for Rule 5. I mean, That's right. Um, it's, this is much less significant, but I was just finishing writing up Royals and Everett Tiford, who will be in their, on their big league club in some way this year. Tiford was Rule 5 eligible two years ago, and no one – had any interest in taking him at all, and since then he's gotten better. But, I mean, again, that's a marginal guy as it is. But So those guys, you know, there are guys out there who you, there are always guys that you can look back in hindsight and go, hey, that guy was Rule 5 eligible. Oh, he ended up being a big leaguer. But the reality is that that doesn't mean at that time when he was Rule 5 eligible that he had any chance of sticking in the big leagues. So, But anything else notable to you jump out? I mean, we're not going to go into the Albert Pujols discussion here, unless, except for I'll say, I'll, I guess I will ask you on that. Where do you think, do you think Mark Trumbo's an angel next year? <laughs> They're talking about third baseman Mark Trumbo a little bit. And I, you know, the, the angels have kicked, kicked around the idea of making Trumbo more flexible, but they couldn't even commit 15 games in, in the outfield in AAA. I just don't see him playing any other position but first or DH. You know, I know they have to... to uh, talk as if he has flexibility in order to trade him. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, but, he's, we're fine. He can... You know, uh, but you also depend, I guess I guess Abreu is the DH. Or, yeah, or, I, I, or to Morales. Me, to me, that's the thing is that they, you may not know about Kendry Morales' health right now. However, they have so many outfielders as it is already. Like they, that, I, I don't think that's a problem for them. But I believe Trumbo does have one or two options remaining, so Salt Lake <laughs> Salt Lake is always an option. You know, but although that would Mark yeah. Trumbo may be retired before this uh, Pujols contract's over. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I don't mean that flippantly, but I, I, I mean that he honestly may be retired before Pujols' <laughs> contract is over. I, I expect him to be traded, don't you? I, I think so, too. I mean, I, I think, and they won't be trading for a position of strength on this. No. no. I mean, you know, and the reality is, is I, the the funniest thing I saw was is I saw at least one rumor yesterday that linked that he could be going to the A's uh, in the uh, you know maybe in a trade you know and they bring back Andrew Bailey or someone which I'll say this if that happens you know does does money uh, that I mean I I don't want to go too joking you know flipping about it but Mark Trumbo does seem to me to be the antithesis I know that it, Moneyball is about marketing efficiency not about on base percentage but <laughs> When I think Mark Trumbo, I mean, Mark Trumbo, the thing that just jumps out is his power with no on base. And that would be a little surprising to see him as an A. It would be. It would add to their stable of uh, four or five first basemen on their on their 40-man roster. Which, yeah. So, I guess so in that sense it makes. Um, but, you know, but going beyond that, I, there were a couple minor deals. We, we talked about Yamaiko Navarro. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, I think uh, Dana Evelyn. Uh, yep, Dana Evelyn uh, has his best stretch in the big leagues, probably, and gets flipped to the Orioles. It makes sense for the Orioles. I mean, they they do have to start paying him arbitration prices, but the cost was very low to them, you know. But in general, I think it's like this was a winter meetings where, as much, take away the free agent market and some stuff. You know, again, if you see they announced Reyes there, we saw Pujols sign, we saw C.J. Wilson sign, so. Now the Prince Fielder sweepstakes begin, but Yu Darvish posting was announced there too, and uh, he and uh, uh, Nakajima, the shortstop, who's the Yankees won the posting for. Mark Burley signed as well. And Mark Burley signed as well. So a lot of stuff on that on the trade market side, we did not see a lot happen. Well, we did uh, late yesterday. Uh, Ian Stewart to the Cubs. Oh and, yeah, that and was. Theo Epstein's first big move and. I, like, I was on the airplane for that one. Sorry, I, like, I missed that one. I like the the Cubs' return. They get Ian Stewart, power-hitting third baseman, needs a change of scenery. Uh, he's your replacement for Aramis Ramirez in all likelihood. And they get uh, Casey Weathers. Uh, the Needs a change of scenery. Yeah, uh, the first-round pick, reliever, power arm, TJ uh, surgery. I, say, I hate to say this, but if I, if I described it as the Rockies' first-round pick, uh, yeah. highly regarded out of college, had some injury problems, has not lived up to – the problem is if I described him that way and did not use the word Casey Weathers, you would have <laughs> about seven options you could pick from. <laughs> well, but, three first-round picks involved in this trade. Stewart taking the top ten picks and uh, going to Colorado, uh, Tyler Colvin taking in the 06 draft in the first round. Not a, not a Tyler Colvin believer. No. Uh, I mean, I, it's, it's, I understand. I mean, it, it's a change of scenery side both ways. Like, the Cubs see if they could get something out of Ian Stewart. The Rockies see if they can get something out of Tyler Colvin. Makes sense, but... Uh, you know, the Rockies have gotten more out of these out-of-nowhere, you know, college say, left-handed I'll, hitters. I'll say Brad this. Hopp. He's got power. Seth Smith. He's got some you power. Know? That's, an, you know, it, that's you could argue his lack of selectivity may become a little less important at Coors, even with the humidor. I mean, maybe a little less important because, for one, confidence is contagious. He's going to be more confident. His power is enough to make pitchers have to be a little bit wary of him, which may mean that he actually – Walks a little bit more too because they may be nibbling a little bit more against him. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. in the context of course, you know, putting the ball in play in the air is more valuable than anywhere else. Right. So, so it could that could be a trade that works out both ways in some in some sense. But you know, I think we probably still will see a couple more deals before everything's said and done. Uh, Braves sure seem to be trying to find a you know a home for Jar Jurgens. They just have yet to be able to find one. Hmm. You know, and we keep hearing about Gio Gonzalez maybe or. John Neese, or there seems like now that the pitching is kind of uh, the number of pitchers on the free agent market dwindles, that might help. Hey, if you missed out on Burley and C.J. Wilson, John Neese, Plan C. Which I, I, I do have to ask you, you know, you, you follow the Mets quite closely. What is the – I don't see where they get from here to, to really anywhere, to be honest, right now, because it doesn't seem like that there's – uh, it, it's not something where you can say, well, they're they're building from within because there's not really a young core of guys coming up that you say you point to and say that you know okay that's the position players they're going to build around. Yeah, they're they're kind of hamstrung by uh, bad pitching in the major leagues and not a lot of high ceiling hitters on the way. Right, know? they've got some pitching. I mean, the they have they have you know okay hitters. I mean, they were second in the NL in average and on base last year. You know, and they're only losing Reyes, and if they get a full year from Davis, they kind of balance that out. But the pitching is in is in dire trouble, uh, and I think that's what they're trying to address by all the relievers you're alluding to. They signed, uh, but they're going to need some some starting pitching, which 
Makes you wonder why they're trading these or, or shopping these. Well, that was the thing that did seem puzzling to me. It's like there, there's one thing when you're trading away, even if they trade away David Wright, if they made the calculation that, you know what, by the time we're good again, David Wright's not going to be as valuable, and so it's mm-hmm. you know, trade now, I can see an argument for that. It's harder to understand the argument. John Neese is not at a point where you say, okay, well, he's not going to be around by the time we're good. If, if that's the case, then... It'll be another regime that's going to be worrying about it, you know, not Sandy Alderson at that point. If if Nice is, because he, he's he's still a long ways away from free agency and all, so that that seems a little more puzzling to me. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if that if that rumor has any any uh, right. and truth it's a to rumor it. Right now, it's not actually anything beyond mm-hmm. that. But well, we do again. Thank you for the uh, for the download. We uh, we'll be back. We'll, we will be talking, I believe, NL West prospects next week on the podcast. We'll finish up the uh, the NLS. We took a took a week off from the uh, top tens because uh, we had the winter meetings. A little tougher to, to to chat and all do those kind of things. Got a lot of people who were who were there. But we'll be back next week. We've got two the final two uh, NL West teams. We'll go Padres there. on Monday, right? Padres on Monday. I'll be chatting. Uh, yeah. On Monday. So Matt will be chatting about the Padres. Which, by the way, I, I was having some discussions mm-hmm. with guys there. I heard, you know, from one club who said, you know, I, I, you know, that Padre system, I still don't think that, you know, that great. And then, but to me, it's actually one of the better systems in the National League. I mean, especially, they don't have the best way I can put it is is that there's probably one guy in the top 40 prospects in baseball, you know, in in uh, Anthony Rizzo. But if you said how many guys they have in the top 200 prospects in baseball, I might give you 10. Yeah, they have they have a lot of depth, um, and 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 the the beauty of it is is a lot of it's pitching and a lot of it's at Double A. So uh, that that does have very very tangible benefits and value. Number ten was um, Kevius Sampson, actually. That's a good we're, number we're, ten. I know it's out there because some people have the magazine, so, so the list yeah. has circulated, even though we haven't published it online yet. Uh, yeah, Sampson is number ten. That's uh, a good number ten. Yeah, I mean that's there are a lot of systems where he would be ranked significantly higher than ten. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, it's it, there's it's a one through ten. It's a it's a very solid system. It's a lot of depth there. But yeah, Padres on Monday and uh, help me here. Probably Giants, right? Giants, yeah, Giants on on Wednesday. So we'll wrap that up next week. Then the week after that, we will have uh, two. I believe we'll put up two of the uh, uh, AL East teams, hmm. and then we'll take a, a holiday break and we'll uh, wrap up the AL East. After New Year's, so, but so, so if you're a fan of Baltimore or Boston, you're probably in luck. Actually, no, no, because the Red Sox and uh, Orioles happen to be written by two of the guys who will be finishing up the prospect handbook. So, if you're a fan of the Blue Jays or uh, I'm gonna try, I think we're still trying to get the Rays to be moved up there too, because All right. less involved in the prospect handbook production. Because that's the thing that we're really kind of in the home stretch on here is is we're we're prospect handbooking as well. The almanac is we'll you'll be getting if if you've already ordered the almanac, we're not far away from getting that in in house and we'll be sending that out as soon as we get them. Uh, but the prospect handbook we are we're we're almost done with the production of that. That'll be done. We'll be done putting it together before Christmas. So we're we're not far from that now. But again, thanks for the download. We uh, appreciate all the interest in the Rule Five Draft. We're we're not mocking it. We really we care about it too. Just making the point that you know it's. There's probably more interest in it than the the impact that comes from it. Pedro Beato, as you said, <laughs> who, who are our stars last year? Pedro Beato, three amazing. Uh, Michael Martinez Mike might, might have been the best because he actually made the playoff roster. That's yeah, true. 
There you go. You know. So, but again, thanks for the download. We'll be back next week, and uh, have a good rest of your week.